Welcome to A Coach's Perspective. I'm your host, Jenny Hopkins, and this show is presented to you by Great Southern Bank. They're our presenting sponsor, and we're grateful for Joe Turner, Kelly Polonis, and all the team members over at Great Southern Bank. They are excellent teammates in our adventure. Great Southern Bank is serious about convenience with nearly 100 banking centers in six states, hundreds of ATMs and mobile and online banking services. You're always in touch with your money. Learn more at greatsouthernbank.com, member FDIC. Other sponsors that we are very grateful for, Highland Dairy, Craig Lehman with Shelter Insurance, Bill Grant Ford and Bolivar, Story Construction, West Logging, Greg and Melinda Burnett, and Springfield Yard Cards. All right, so we have a great show tonight, and I'm very excited to, to host a world champion. Um, but before we get to that, we're going to talk a little bit about last week. Last week, we wrapped up our series on the mental health of current and former college athletes. We had Heather Harmon and Nyla Millison joined us. If you want to listen to the episode, you can go to acoachesperspective.com and listen to it under previous shows on Apple, iTunes, Spotify, Verbal, and on Helium Satellite Radio. So tonight, um, we are welcomed by a gentleman that is a world champion, a Hall of Famer, a successful businessman. He made fame first by being one of the best surfers of all time. He has used his passion for surfing not just to catch the next wave, but to be the next wave, to encourage others to paddle toward their fears and self-doubt and find their purpose and power. His positive message is rippled through his speeches and workshops at corporations and universities worldwide. I'm lucky enough to have caught up with him on dry land and try to capture his message. So take a listen to our interview with Sean Thompson as we discuss the sport of surfing, the surfer's code, and his best-selling books that have been an inspiration to so many on finding a positive purpose with their lives. Tonight's show has been edited. For the extended version, go to acoachesperspective.com, iTunes, Spotify, Verbal, or Helium Satellite Radio. All right, so we want to welcome to the show, Sean Thompson. Welcome to Springfield, Missouri. It's great to be here. I've actually been here twice before, and uh, I'm really looking forward to this trip. Well, we're excited to, to hear your message. Um, I think that one of the things that I like about the inspiration of your message is that um, you use a sport that is very close to your heart, and that is surfing. And I, I kind of want to, excuse the pun, but I want to dive into that a little bit. Um, so in this first segment, um, I want to talk a little bit about, about the sport of surfing, because on this show I have a segment that called, that's called Sports 101, where some people were in the Midwest, right? So there's not a lot of surfers. So I want to talk a little bit about that sport um, and, and kind of give them, you know, your inspiration for what your message is. So how did you get into surfing? You grew up in South Africa, and there are a lot of great waves in South Africa. So how did you get into surfing? Surfing. Well, my father had been involved with the beach and the ocean uh, from the days when he was a young boy. He was actually one of South Africa's best swimmers, um, and his dream was to compete in the Olympics, um, represent his country. Uh, and then the Second World War intervened. He, he volunteered, uh, fought uh, against the Nazis and the Italians in North Africa. Um, and then uh, when he came back after the war was over, he resumed his swimming career, and the 1948 London Olympics uh, were coming up, and he also was a surfer at the time, the very early days of, of surfing, and um, he was out surfing at his local beach, and he was very badly attacked by a shark. He was nearly killed um, by a shark, <clears throat> and that ended his 
swimming career, but he never lost this amazing love that he had for the ocean. So he taught me how to swim and surf. Um, my earliest memories are being on the beach with my dad and my mom and being taught to, to swim and surf by my dad. Even though he'd had this terrible attack, he really had this deep passion that it seemed like even the, the dreadful shark attack couldn't, um, couldn't quench. And uh, so it was just a natural part of my life. I, I started competing at a very young age. I, I surfed in my first uh, surf contest when I think I was nine or ten years old. Won my first major pro event when I was 17, one of the world's uh, biggest events. And then um, I went and started competing in different events around the world while I was at university. I was studying economics and business management. Um, and uh, with a group of my friends helped create professional surfing, turn this lifestyle into a sport and ultimately I started my, my first company when I was about 23 years old. It became an international brand. So it, it all, I think, came from this deep love and passion that my father had that he transferred onto me. Kind of a connection between the two of you. Very much a connection between the two of us and a connection mm -hmm. between the ocean. He could see as soon as I got out there and I caught my first wave and stood up for the first time and I got that feeling. Right. Surfers called it being stoked. <laughs> and, you know, when you get stoked... Uh, that is sort of the dividing line between a person that's a surfer and a person that's not a surfer is mm -hmm. once you've been stoked you're a surfer forever <laughs> uh, and it sounds kind of cliched but I, I think it's the same way with all sport and with all people who ultimately become successful in sport there is that moment when that spark is lit mm -hmm. there's that moment when it burns brightly inside you and for some people like myself, you just tend that spirit. You keep that, you stoke that, yes. stoke that fire. And that's why stoked is such a great word. And, and certainly it's very, it's very connected to surfing. But also I think it's indicative uh, of any successful sportsman is a stoked mm -hmm. athlete. Yes. Well, and that is, that's perfect because, you know, one of the quotes that I heard you in a previous interview, you said, surfing is like being connected to nature and riding a band of energy. And I love that. And you also said that once you ride that first wave, you'll never look at life the same. And to me, that's one of the most powerful statements that a sport has brought into your life and to the mentality um, that you can have by standing up on a board in the middle of the ocean <laughs> or on the edge of the ocean. That's in, that has got to be an incredible and powerful feeling. I think it's an amazing sensation um, and certainly from a feeling of exhilaration, uh, a feeling of being spiritually connected, but also you use the word perspective and, and perspective is a word that, that, that I use a lot. Um, and in surfing, yes, it's easy to see people bobbing out there on the boards. But for me, I've always tried to look below the surface and see like what really inspires us to do what we do. Um, and now when I talk to hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people around the world at schools and universities and large corporations and rehab clinics and prisons, um, I like, I like to think back to that first wave that I ever rode and that first wave has imprinted on me and when I got to my feet and I felt that surge of stoke, that surge of exhilaration, yes that has what has kept me going but also I had a different perspective on life right there, right then. I stood up and I looked up and I was rushing in on this 
band of energy and I just looked at the world differently and and <laughs> and when I talk to people I say that my stories today are just my perspective um, it's not a prescription it's a perspective and that's what I like to share I just like to share a perspective because I have found that if you share a perspective people are a lot more um, interested and they're a lot more open you're not there smashing pointing a finger telling someone which way to ride how to ride I'm going I'm just sharing a perspective and perspective was right there at the origin of my love mm-hmm. for surfing so that's yes. why I like to share perspective as opposed to prescription you're giving them the water and they can choose to drink it how they would like to and and if if we could bottle up that feeling, wouldn't that be wonderful? <laughs> that yeah. could be. A, wouldn't that be great if you could bottle up that feeling of getting on the board or riding your first wave? I mean, oh, how that would help with anxiety and depression and so many mental health issues to be able to bottle that up and to capture that feeling, which I'm sure you have revisited that feeling many times in your life. I, I, I think so. But what's great about a sport, it, it, doesn't, just, it doesn't just have to be surfing that has this sort of wonderful moment Mm -hmm. you can experience this feeling and some psychologist uh, the wonderful hungarian psychologist mihachik sent me how developed this concept of flow this this state of absolute focus and concentration Mm at in in in, in a place where you can actually perform at your best but wonderful guy i've spoken with him at at a couple of psychology conferences uh, a couple of times so for all of us, <clears throat> we can find that in our different fields that we're associated with, whether it's sport, whether it's teaching, whether it's any other um, a creative endeavor. And, and I think that this, I think one of the things that has been overlooked in this pandemic and this post-pandemic society in which people are suffering from four things. Um, And I've had the unique opportunity through COVID of having spoken to about 150,000 people. And I asked them, send me a word that describes how you're feeling. So I've seen over 100,000 words during this two-year period. And the words, I call it a sad mindset, stress, anxiety, despair, depression, disconnection. So those have been the words. That's how people have felt. So how can you get someone to perhaps change that mindset? How can you get someone to change from the darkness to the light? Well, my method's super simple. Uh, I just share a perspective, an uplifting perspective. And then I show people a code that they can use, a tool that they can use. I like to say it's open source code to become introspective and commit to a positive future. It's really simple. Yes. A perspective and a code. That's what I do. I think that's really important. Um, and we're going we're to dive into that code um, throughout the show and, and kind of look at that and see how people can take action on their lives um, because I think that's something when you have a message, you, you want to give them the message, but you want also want to give them and inspire action in their lives um, to make it better. So I can definitely appreciate that. Um, so just, you know, and I want to get into that um, as well, but I want to dive a little deeper into... Um, 
into surfing because I, I love to merge sport specific skills along with this positive mentality that you're talking about and this message. Um, what, what kind of skills and what kind of mentality does someone have to have to be a good surfer? Talking to someone that has just stayed in the waves <laughs> <laughs> and snorkeled for seashells. <laughs> what, what would someone have to do if I said, hey, I want to try surfing? Well, you need to be good at this, this, and this. Well, you know, surfing is not a very uh, physically demanding sport. It's not like uh, crushing, crashing tackles like uh, American football. It's um, a very... I think fluid and artful sport. When, when, <laughs> when I take out people for the first time and I say, um, you know, they say, well, what do I do? I, I say, well, this is the concept, fast and fluid, fast and fluid. And that concept really applies to so many sports. So there is this commonality. So the skills that a surfer need, I think this sort of dogged, persistence and determination is important because there's a lot of paddling out. You catch that wave and then you've got to paddle back out through sometimes it seems like endless waves. So you really have to be have to be, I think, persistent. And then especially when you're starting out, there's a lot of wipeouts. You're falling off a lot. So this notion of, of resilience is uh, at I think at the core of, of most successful surfers because you wipe out, you've got to paddle back on your board and paddle back out. And then I think unlike other sports, the ocean is vast, the ocean is powerful, and no matter how good you think you are, the ocean will kick your ass. <laughs> so there is this fundamental humility associated with uh, being a surfer, whether you ride small waves, whether you ride medium waves, whether you ride big waves, whether you ride huge waves, it's going to come a time when you are going to get slapped out there. Right. Um, so I, th I think surfers have this um, inherent humility from being smacked around in the ocean their whole lives. <laughs> right. <laughs> And you talked about how important it is whenever you go to a new location, getting to know that location from the locals and respecting like they have kind of the, 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 the tricks and the tips from that particular location. And I thought that's, I mean, that's a form of scouting, right? <laughs> You're kind of scouting out that location. And um, I think that was kind of interesting because I, I would venture to guess that no two places are alike. Yeah, I mean, surfing breaks are very different. It's not like... You walk onto a tennis court or you walk right. onto a, a baseball pitch or a cricket pitch or rugby pitch. They're all the same. They're bounded by, by white lines. They're, you know, 50 meters or 100 meters or 50 yards or 100 yards. Uh, every surfing break is completely different. Every surfing break is populated by a group of local surfers that surf there. So it's both... Um, self-awareness and connecting with these other people respectfully and then it's an, an also an environmental awareness awareness of this different break different reef different riptides different wave shape so there is certainly a lot um, a lot to absorb and a lot to deal with that's why i think surfers are, are very connected to the environment and many many surfers become involved in environmental causes environmental groups um, it's a very, um, you know, some people 
called it a sport, other people called it a lifestyle, other people called it an art form. It, it has many different aspects, it has many different faces. Yeah, very interesting. All right, well, we're going to talk a little bit about how surfing has inspired your message and, and, and dive into that. And I'm going to try to not use the word dive so much throughout the rest of the That's interview, good. but I can't help it when I, you know, I'm in the water with you. I'm feeling the, the, the surf. And so we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we'll continue with Sean Thompson and, and his wonderful and inspiring message. We'll be back on a coach's perspective. And we want to thank Great Southern Bank again for being our presenting sponsor. Welcome back to A Coach's Perspective. Um, this segment is sponsored by Highland Dairy. Highland Dairy is owned by dairy farmers, and they've been providing a great selection of nutritious dairy products since 1938. It's a proven fact from scientific studies and professional dietitians. The ideal sports beverage recovery drink available to athletes after a workout is chocolate milk. And Highland Dairy has the best tasting chocolate. We're chatting tonight with world champion surfer and inspirational speaker, Sean Thompson. And I would venture to guess um, that after you have been riding the waves and you've had a whole day out on the surf, you like to drink chocolate milk too, right? <laughs> I tell you what, in my career, I was a big fan. I was a big fan of chocolate milk back in the day. Very big, yeah. Yes. Well, don't forget that Highland Dairy is the best tasting <laughs> chocolate. All right, so we've we've discussed kind of your you know your love for surfing and and how you feel like it kind of relates to life and what you can take from it. Um, let's talk about the code, shall we? Let's crack the code here, the surfer's code, and and the power of I will, which is your most recent book, and you talk a little bit about it because you want people to change their what ifs into what is. And you want to um, give them an action statement. So if you would, this positive message, talk about the power of I will and those two words as, that, as part of your message. You know, when you're an athlete, when you're a business person, um, and you have this murky vision of where you want to go, you know, you're trying to decide on like how to get there and exactly where to go um, as part of your goal structure. But I, I really believe that you need to go further back. Um, and I, I believe you need to find, refine, and define your purpose. What do you really, really want? Yeah, I want to win that contest. Yeah, I want to be a world champion. But you need to go beyond that in order to achieve that goal. You need to, I believe, is, is really find your purpose. So over the last um, 16 years, um, since I had a, a, a tragedy in my life, I lost my beautiful 15-and-a-half-year-old son uh, to a bad choice um, and wrote my most recent book, The Code, uh, as um, a framework for positive decision making amongst young people, I found that this framework wasn't just useful to make positive decisions, but this framework was really useful for career objective. It was really useful for finding life purpose. So my thesis is that we need to simplify um, sport is complex, life is complex, but if we can just distill it down to power, action and commitment, uh, 
Uh, and, and, and how do you do that? Well, surfing gave me this gift many years ago. Someone asked me to, to inspire a group of young children that were coming down to the beach <clears throat> to raise consciousness for an environmental problem. This beach had an issue. Uh, and this wonderful maverick guy said to me, Sean, I want you to give these kids a gift. You've got a $100 budget. It's going to be about 100 kids. Um, so I, I thought, like, what can I do for 100 bucks? So I went home and I, I wrote 12 lines every line beginning with, I will. And it was 12 commitments. It was 12 metaphors. It was the most important 12 lessons that surfing had taught me about life in the form of 12 commitments. I will never turn my back on the ocean. I will always paddle back out. I will realize that all surfers are joined by one ocean. I will know that there will always be another wave. So it was about hope, optimism, courage, commitment, passion, integrity, honor, to the basic building blocks of of character in the form of 12 lines. So I printed them, I printed these 12 lines up, took me 15 minutes to write on a little card and I gave them out to the kids. The kids loved the cards, the media loved the cards and ultimately we resolved the environmental issue but the cards took on a life of their own. And people would phone me up and say, hey Sean, why don't you talk to us about this code that you've developed and at one of the events um, a Springfield resident professor here uh, Patrick Moser came up to me at the urging of his wife Linda Moser who's at uh, Missouri State um, said Sean I think you should write a book well I said well I've never written a book he said well I've never written a book either he said but I'm a professor of French literature so we collaborated over a, uh, a summer and we read our first book called Surface Code and then the second book, The Code, was written after um, I, lo- I Lost My Son. And the second book was written as a direct result of speaking to a group of kids at a small school in Santa Barbara High School. It was called Anna Kappa School, only 80 students. And when I was chatting to the kids about my first book, Surface Code, uh, I said to the, to, the, to the young students, I said, Surface Code was my code. I wrote it in 15 minutes, 12 lines. Every line begins with our will. It was my manifesto. It was my core purpose. I said, what about your code? Why don't you write down your codes just as an experiment? Um, And about two weeks later, I got back the codes from the kids, 80 kids times 12, nearly 1,000 lines of code. And the very first line of code I got back from a young 13-year-old girl, I will always be myself unbelievable powerful words so for anyone that's a teacher like you for a parent for another child when a child writes that you know this child's not going to be bullied this child's not going to be victimized this child's not going to be a victim of peer pressure this kid i will be myself and then the unbelievable words from these other young students i will not compromise on my morals to fit in with others i mean incredible words of power passion poetry and i went wow this is incredible and I immediately found up Patrick after I got these and I said hey Patrick we're going to do another book and this book's going to be <laughs> yes. called The Code The Power of Our Will because I've seen this amazing work from these young students I think students all over the world can be doing this can be looking inside themselves and making a commitment to positive change making commitment to transformation making a commitment to purpose right so we wrote the book, The Code, and now I do this work 
with the biggest, hottest, fastest growing companies in the history of the world. Did a company two weeks ago, the fastest growing company in the history of the world, five years old, $38 billion valuations. I do this to hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people at the biggest companies and everyone writes their code. Whether you're a CEO and you have 50,000 employees or whether you're a, a, a 23-year-old kid starting out on your first job or whether you're a PTSD survivor in Israel that's mm -hmm. had your legs blown off or whether you're uh, uh, in a drug rehab clinic, whether you're an inmate in a jail sentenced to 20 years trying to figure out what are you going to do. Everyone writes their code. And it has these cascading effects. So not only is it empowering for the writer, but everyone shares their code. So now it is connective and it's empowering for the collective, for the group. And like, I'll, I'll do these events. And you know, when people write their codes and, and, and they publish it, everyone else can see it. I think, man, I got the luckiest, I got the best job in the world because I see the beauty and power of the human spirit. I see what we are really made of. And what we're really made of is not that we're Republicans or that we're Democrats. We're part of this vast goodness of humanity and people look inside themselves and they don't find evil there, they find good. And then they commit, they commit to good. And when you'll see a prisoner write, I will forgive myself tattoos, gnarly, tough mm -hmm. dude, mm -hmm. and starts crying, what do you think the other inmates do? Right. What do you think the other inmates yeah. do when he writes it? Yes. When, he's, when he's nakedly vulnerable. They all walk around to him, they put their arms around him, and they start crying too. Mm -hmm. And in a, you know, in, in a massive corporate setting, when a team member writes, I will be a mentor, or I will lift up my team members. It just creates this amazing moment of engagement. And, and the same thing is true for a sports team. A sports team, whether it's 15, 11, 9, 7, whatever the construct of a sports team, it's not made up of these superstar individuals. Yes, it is. But collectively, if every member reveals their purpose and why they're here and we see that we are connected we share these common values people look and, and and they see yes we want the same things and you know what people want they don't want to win people do not write i will be a winner people do not write i will hit my third quarter goals I, I believe that this construct that many coaches have, first is first, second is nothing. Um, there's no such thing as losing, only winning. Everyone writes different codes. So I've read millions of lines. I've just been in this fortunate position. Surfing is, thank, thank you, surfing has, has put me there. You know what people write? You know what the meaning of life is? You know what our true life purpose is? It's not to be a winner. It's not to be the best. Forget about it. That is perhaps an ancillary result. But people only want two things. 
Our life purpose can be defined by two lines of code. Number one, I will be better. People want to be better today than they were yesterday. People want to be better tomorrow than they were yesterday. I will be better. We don't want to be the best. We just want to be better. So that's one half of the tributary of the rural life. I'll be better. The other half is, I will help others be better. So while people write a myriad of different lines of code, they only write two lines, I'll be better and I'll help others be better. And, and when I do these big audiences, and, and we'll do it when I chat to the, to the students at, at Missouri State, they write the 12 lines and then I say, send me one line about being better and the lines come across. I will have faith. I will do what I say I will do. And you know, at, at, at older gatherings, I will be a better husband. I will be a better wife. And then I will be a mentor. I will lift others up. It, it's just wonderful to see the connectivity that, and, and this engagement that these positive statements of commitment can make. And when it's published, you are accountable. Right. That makes a big difference. It really does. And I think what a lot of it is is reframing our definition of winning. I think you're looking at um, a multiple, you know, multiple perspectives of what is winning. And being better than you were the day before is a tremendous definition of winning um, and a tremendous way to define yourself as a, as a life champion. To be because able it to, defines yes. you. It doesn't yes. define you relative to the competition because best is a definition related to others whereas better is related to you so better is a much cleaner more holistic mindset and kind of goal than best best is ethereal Yes, and it's conclusive. Like, okay, you're the best. Now, what's next? Yeah. And so it is conclusive. It is an end point. Yes. Best, right. Best isn't. You're right. It, it is. It, it it is an end point. So, so <laughs> I have so I have so much fun doing doing what I do and seeing um, seeing that people use this code to transform their lives. And and it's not my words. I just give this little. This little tool that mm-hmm. just came from students. That right. a, a friend said to me, Sean, give something to these students. And I went, like, what can I give them? And it's going to be in a $100 budget, and there's a 100 <laughs> of them. Like, what could I do? Right. And, and, and kaboom, yes. this little code card came out, and now it's sort of become, mm-hmm. as opposed to a collection of words, it's just become this structure, this tool that other people fill fill up with 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 power and purpose and, and passion you're doing the second half of that part you're making people and you're helping people be better than they were so that's got to be a tremendous feeling in your own life as well oh it's, it's super <laughs> it's super satisfying but it's like I, I, I think that I um, you know you're a you're a teacher and you can't force someone down a path. You just show them a path and you show them, here's a tool that's gonna make that path 
and easier travel. Yeah, guide them, yes. All right, um, well, we're gonna take our, our last break and uh, then we will continue with Sean Thompson. We're gonna continue to, to take this path and this journey with you. Um, and I wanna thank uh, Highland Dairy for sponsoring this segment along with Greg and Melinda Burnett as they support local and thoughtful radio. We'll be right back on A Coach's Perspective. All right, welcome back to A Coach's Perspective. This segment is sponsored by Bill Grant Ford and Bolivar. <laughs> they know cars, they know trucks, they know SUVs, and they know service. Thank you for fixing my car this week, Harry, and all of his teammates over at Bill Grant Ford have been so helpful. I want to thank Kelly Grant, Shane Rainey, give them a call. They will take the stress out of buying your next vehicle out of the equation. Call 417-326-7671. We also appreciate Craig Lehman with Shelter Insurance as well as West Logging. Go to westlogging.com. All right, so we're visiting with Sean Thompson, world champion surfer, businessman, keynote speaker this week at Missouri State University. And um, I have a few, you know, we've been talking a little bit about the message of the Surfer's Code and the Power of I Will, which is your most recent book. And I, one of the things that I, I want to talk a little bit about the pink banana. May I? <laughs> I want to talk about the pink banana. So one of your surfboards, uh, it was supposed to be red, but it ended up kind of being pink, right? And, and you got ribbed about it. You got teased about it. And, um, but it ended up being a tremendous asset to you. Um, and I kind of want to relate that to, I mean, many of us have pink bananas, especially young people have to, you know, they have things that uh, they have to contend with. So how would you encourage um, young people to maybe look past some of those challenges um, and be true to yourself and, and turn your pink bananas into assets <laughs> that they're <Yeah>. proud of. <laughs> so, so, so just a, like a little brief overview. So, so what had happened is I'd asked my surfboard manufacturer in Durban, South Africa to make me a board to ride the big waves in Hawaii. And I wanted it red because all the tough Hawaiian surfing <laughs> champions had these red boards. It was like a mark of testosterone to ride these big waves. So I wanted a red one just like these Hawaiian guys. And I wanted a board with with the surface called it rocker it's it's curve in the board from from the nose the front of the board to the tail to the to, to the rear of the board curve so that when i took off on a very uh, steep wave in hawaii the board wouldn't dig in the surface called it purling so it needed some curve in it so i went down the i remember i just finished my economics exams and my father took me down to pick up my new board i was leaving for hawaii the next day and uh, he showed me the board and it was pink I said, Spider, what, what happened? Why, how, why'd you make my board pink? He said, oh, I mixed some red pigment and I forgot there was a bit of white pigment on the bottom, so the board came out pink. I mean, he said, oh, I'm so sorry. And I thought, well, I've got a pink board. What can I do now? <laughs> and then I looked closer at the board and the board had this incredible bow in it, this incredible curve in it. And I said, Spider, the board looks like a pink banana. What happened to all the curve, the rocket? <laughs> he said, well, the board was didn't have enough curve in it for you. So while uh, it was drying after I laminated it and put the fiberglass and the resin on it, I put some bricks on the front to bend some, some rocker into it and he bent, he bent oh way too much in it. <laughs> but I had to take it anyway because I was leaving the next day. And I was standing on the beach about to go out for my, one of my first sessions. And the board looked really, I mean, the board looked really, really funny. And all these guys, these top surfers started shouting, hey man, where are you going with this pink banana? What are you going to do with the pink banana? And, and I jumped into the water at the Bamsai Pipeline, the most dangerous wave in the world. And 
I paddled out on this on this untested equipment. It was the only board I had, uh, but I had to go for it because you know I felt this embarrassment, <laughs> which which I think I turned into uh, a great form of motivation for me. You know, I, I had to prove these guys wrong, and also for me there was a lot of fear and trepidation associated with riding Banzai Pipeline because eighteen people had died there. Um, and and I, I I tell this story to to people you know in business and to to students um, that there is this fear that we all have um, associated with perhaps failing, um, but the fear will stick with you and you will be fearful your whole life until you make that commitment to take that drop. Um, and I always say, just go for it. Right. Because like, what's gonna happen? You might wipe out and you can paddle back out and get the next way. Just, just go for it, bust down the door, commit to the drop. And as a, as a teenager, I was 19 years old at the time, I took that drop and the board miraculously turned out to be the perfect board for that mm -hmm. wave. It turned out to be like a revolution in one wave and enabled me to do maneuvers that had never ever been done before at that break. And a month later, I won the world's biggest surf contest there, the Banzai Pipeline Masters. I became the youngest guy ever to win it. And if I hadn't paddled out after all those people ribbed me and, and, <laughs> and, 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 and made me feel embarrassed, if I hadn't committed to that drop, if I hadn't bust down the door through the fear barrier, I don't think I would have been the surfer that I ultimately um, went on went on to become. So, so there is this simplicity associated with decision making. I think in sport and in life, and that one has to commit. One has to one has to go for it, but also one has to be cognizant of the risk. And these two different concepts I think can live in parallel I, I, I tell kids go for it commit to the drop but but also you need to think twice um, and it's a very important aspect of decision making especially when you're young you're away from parents you're away from perhaps your strongest influences you need to be careful and you need to be cognizant of the dangers teen suicides have hit record levels teen dope use ha has hit record levels. So when one comes across those life-changing decisions and those moments, I call it those moments of life and death, one has to just think twice. Mm -hmm. And I say in my talks when I do to kids, I say, there's one thing I want you to remember. Just remember a surfer kid came, surfer guy came to you and said to you, think twice. Yeah. And there's so much psychological data around this concept. I mean, Daniel Daniel Kahneman, he won the, uh, in, in the Nobel Prize. You know, he's got this uh, amazing book out, Think Fast and Slow. You know, there is this two ways of thinking, intuitive and analytical. And when it comes time for that life and death situation, the analysis and the analytical aspect must take over and it can't just be instinctive. Okay. And yes, I created a company called Instinct. I mean, I believe in instinct, but there is that moment for critical, critical, critical analysis. And I like to say, just think twice. It's think. super simple. Yeah, it is. That is too. And that's great advice. That's great advice. You know, this, I think this obvious courage that you have 
through surfing. Um, I want to go back to your father, if you don't mind. Um, when he was um, when he was a, a, attacked um, by a shark, or Johnny, is that what you Johnny, call him? Uh, Johnny Dark, a shark. <laughs> Johnny. Yeah, there was this rhyming slang. Yeah, so his, you said that his sense of humor um, kind of got him through that. And, and I think there's a lot of parallels with, you know, with humor and coping mechanisms. Um, um, but tell me what, what his courage, I mean, throughout his life after this shark attack um, and how he continued to live his life um, and, and still love the ocean. Um, how's that, how's that impacted you um, during times of your own adversity and challenges? Yeah, I think it very much uh, impacted me. Um, you know, we have, we can have these incredibly powerful role models in our parents. I was lucky I had mm -hmm. <clears throat> two incredibly powerful role models in, in my mother who had the spirit of hope and optimism. She had endured 3,600 air raids for four years, lived in underground shelters, bombed by the Nazis and the Italians. I mean, very similar to what's happening in, in, in Ukraine today. And then, and then I had my father who had this terrible attack and was an amazing sportsman, but had his whole sports career ripped away from him by, in the jaws of a shark. But he never lost this <clears throat> love for the ocean. And he had this quiet courage. He would never talk, very seldom talk about the attack. I mean, if I asked my dad about the attack, he'd say, and I said, Daddy, what happened to the shark? He said, I oh, don't worry about the shark. It died of blood poisoning. <laughs> so he, he had this sense of humor and, and this quiet courage. And also he had this wonderful way of looking at, at athletic performance. And I think if, if there's any coach out there that's listening, my father never ever once said to me in my life, you've got to win, ever. He never ever berated me for substandard performance. The only thing my father wanted me to do was just try my hardest. That's it. When I pedaled out in the heat, that's all he wanted was for me to try my hardest. In fact, <coughs> he would put perspective and winning and victory uh, in, in, he would show me by his actions. So it's my first major pro event. I'm in the final. I've got a good chance at winning this. 40,000 people on the beach. This event, it was one of the biggest sporting events in, in South Africa, and I'm standing up on the podium with the five other finalists. And we're waiting for the results. Uh, and I know that I've done well, but I don't know how, how well I've done. <clears throat> and my dad is in the tower where all the judges are. And he knows the results, because they, you know, they're waiting to make this crescendo of the results. And I look up at my father, um, he never he never judged me. He was he was not a judge, my father. But I looked up my father to like, you, you know, ask like, how have I done, Dad? And he gives me a thumbs down. It's like a shush. I can't believe it. I've got such a good crack at this. And then they start announcing the results. You know, fifth, fourth, third, and they go. And in second place, and I start walking up, thinking it's me. And he goes, in first place, Sean Thompson. And I run up there and I look at my dad. My dad's cracking up with laughter. And <laughs> you got to love that. He, he, you know, it, and my sort of greatest moment of my first professional victory, my right. dad has made... Humbled you right from the start. Made a judgment and, and humbled me. <laughs> yes. And he made me realize that, that winning is important, but winning isn't everything and it's not 
the most important thing in that context. And, you know, the, that famous Lombardi quote, um, winning isn't everything, it's the only thing. It, it, to me, it's not... Perhaps there, there can be another way for an athlete because there are very, very few winners. And does that mean if you don't win, it puts your performance and your effort into some secondary sphere? I, I, I don't... I don't think so. I think that better rather than best is a better way to achieve the best. That's just the way I think. I agree. I agree. Um, you also discuss in the book about the loss of your son, Matthew. And I really have absolutely no sufficient words of condolences. No, I offer prayers you. of strength and courage, of thank course. You. In, uh, in that path. Um, but I do, however, want to bring up a story that, that you had told about the story circle that Matthew brought up. Uh, I felt like that was such a touching story. And it's so true that um, stories can bond us and connect us and inspire us. And and I feel like that is, um, Matthew has a legacy. He reminded us of that through creating this story circle um, and this positive message of of being able to pass the the talking stick that he created. Yeah. Um, you know, tell me, one, thank you for sharing that story in your book. I know that that was difficult, um, but it is inspiring and it did touch me. And I, I want to know, you know, that, that power of stories. Um, how do you feel like, you know, what is the message that, that he, he wanted people to to have from that action on that day on the beach with you? So what had happened is is Matthew and I had gone down to the beach to look at the surf. There was no surf on this particular day. He, he wasn't a very keen, passionate surfer, but he loved surfing because I loved it, and you know we, we would surf together. So we went down to, to our local beach, and there was no, no surf on this particular day. And uh, we have a, a sacred area on our beach uh, dedicated to the Shumash people, the Native American tribe that, that lived in the, in the area. So Matthew said... Matthew's name in Hebrew means gift from God, which is was a beautiful, beautiful name. So we ran up to this memorial dedicated to Shumash on this meadow called Shalawa Meadow. And it has this beautiful inscription. The sacredness of the land lies in the mind of its people. This land is dedicated to the spirit and memory of the ancestors and their children. It's just beautiful. It's dedicated... You know, connects us to the past, the present, the future, to the land, to the people, to the ancestors. It's just beautiful. So, obviously, this stimulated uh, something in, in, in Matthew. And he, he ran down the beach and he started collecting cobblestones and he arranged them in a circle and then in another circle within that circle and then another circle. So, we had three concentric circles. And then he put two rocks down in the innermost circle. And, and he said, Dada, this is a sacred story circle. And then he ran off down the beach and got a stick and put some kelp and feathers in the stick and came back and he said, this is a sacred story stick. And whoever sits in the sacred story circle with the stick tells the story. So the two of us, father and son, we were the only two people on the beach sat inside the circle and we passed the stick back and forth and told each other stories. <clears throat> and and it, was, it was beautiful for, for many reasons, but it was beautiful to share that special moment with my son and to share that love and to share the spirit and to share um, absolute time together with no 
nothing around us other than us and us in love with each other. And I think what's important about that time and why I, lo I love to tell that story, and the story for me, it just keeps Matthew alive. It's like he's it's still alive and his spirit is still alive. I, I, I know that. Um, but I think it, it shows people that those moments are rare because we make them rare because we've got a cell phone or because we, we're always thinking about some, somewhere else. But those moments with our children or with the people we love being absolutely in the present are the most important moments in our life. And yes, it's important to do good work and to, if you're a sportsman, to be the best or be as, be as good as you can be. And But those moments when we really connect with each other deeply are unbelievably important and are why we are on this planet to love and share our spirit. So at the core of it are, are, is, is, is storytelling. And I don't remember what we spoke about. I don't remember the stories. But you know, when we went home after we had this amazing moment on the beach and we shared this hour together, uh, as I opened the front door, Matthew dug in his pocket and he said, Dad, this is a sacred story stone from the sacred story circle. And you know all the stories we told today? They're all inside the stone. And he put the stone outside the front door. So it's interesting about cultures and about tribes. So I think the earliest form of human communication and connectivity to the past, present and future were stories, but telling stories in caves. Um, now, the ancient Hawaiians believe that inanimate objects can be composed of mana, which is pure spirit, whether it's a stone, whether it's a shark, whether it, even a creature like a shark can have mana. So this, this mana, to me, is a reflection of our essential purpose in life. And what I do now is I try to tell people about purpose and my vehicle for people finding mana, finding purpose, is this simple code. And when you go back and see this unusual connectivity that we all have is that Shumash, the oldest human remains of the Shumash people, are the oldest ancestors ever found in North America, 13 and a half thousand years ago, on this little island that's just offshore of the sacred meadow where I spoke to with my son. And Shumash, in Hebrew, the ancient Israelite tribes, means Chumash means the five books of Moses, the first five books of the Bible. So there, there's this amazing connectivity here with stories, ancient cultures, and how surfing in my little code led me to this path. It's... it's it's quite, sometimes I look and think, wow, it's, it's like it was made up. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing, though. It is. It is. And I, I want to thank you for sharing your story and what you have been doing all over the, the world, um, speaking with people and inspiring them and motivating them and, and just giving, using your, your path and your story. I want to thank you so much for, for doing that. Um, and my final question is... Um, what are some of your future I wills for Sean Thompson? <laughs> uh, I know that the I wills is a, it's got to be a fluid document. You have to revisit it. Um, I am sure throughout your life. 
So what are, what are your future I wills, if you could give me just a snapshot of a couple of them? So <clears throat> when people write their code, their 12 lines, and they've spent, <clears throat> you know, generally an hour with me, you know, hearing my perspective and talking about the origin, and, and, then, and then people write it, and people say, you know, should I, I revisit it every six months or every year? I, I go, yeah, yeah, you can revisit mm -hmm. it. You can revisit it as often as you like. I said, but you don't have to rewrite it. I said, I wrote mine 20 years ago. 20 years ago. And, and I keep it in my wallet. I said, the code's not a smart goal. Specific, measurable, achievable, relative, time-sensitive. Right. It ain't like that. The code is timeless. Timeless. And what you've written, just keep it. Mm -hmm. And use it. And when you go through a tough time, read it. So for me, if you had to ask me about revisiting my code, yeah, I'll revisit it. But my words, I'll never turn my back on the ocean. I will always paddle back out. I'll realize that there'll always be another wave. I'll watch out for other surfers after a big set are as real and as relevant and as timely as, as when I wrote them. 20 years ago. That's wonderful. That's wonderful. <laughs> well, I think it is a wonderful code, and, and I'm, I'm so happy that this message is rippling through. <laughs> and I, I want to thank you for coming to Springfield, Missouri, speaking to our students at Missouri State University. We appreciate your time, and, um, and thanks for joining us here on A Coach's Perspective. We appreciate that. No, it's, it's been my great, great pleasure. So, so this is what, we can, what I would love to do. So I'd love... Every student at Greenwood, regardless of their age, mm -hmm. even if they're in grade one, to write the code, 12 yes. lines. Yes. Every line begin with our will. And see if it has an impact on these young kids. Mm -hmm. And I believe it will. <laughs> I believe it will too. I, I will, I do. I, I thank you so much um, for this message and for sharing yourself um, with so many people. I know that that is a, definitely a gift, and we appreciate you so much. So thanks for joining us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, we're going to move into our post-game talk, um, and I, I want you to stick around for our post-game talk. Hopefully you will find it interesting. I'm sure, spoiler alert, that uh, you probably know what my post-game talk is going to be. <laughs> so let's move into our post-game talk, and our post-game talk is sponsored by Story Construction. Story Construction, they've been providing high-quality high industrial and commercial construction since 1966. Go to story.com, S-T-O-R-E-E.com. All right, so now for the post-game talk. All right, so... I mean, what do you think it's going to be? It's going to be my 12 I wills. And, you know, when I was reading Sean Thompson's book, and, and again, you can, you can, you, I highly suggest reading this book. It is a great read. It has some wonderful stories, um, some beautiful sentiments, but it's very inspiring. Um, and it is, and it is um, called The Code and the Power of I Will. So I wrote my I wills. And one of the suggestions you talked about in your book, as you um, spoke about earlier, is think twice. Use your instincts, but think twice. So I wrote down just out of instinct, but then I went back over it and I thought twice and I made some additions. <laughs> so here are my 12 I wills. I will love my family. I will treat others the way I want to be treated. I will care about my fellow humans. I will pray and have faith. I will be driven to accomplish what I set out to do. 
I will share a, a positive message. And in times of challenge, I will say, where there is a will, there is a way. <laughs> I will shine a light on others and their dreams and their accomplishments. I will embrace failure as a forward motion and success as a humble and gracious occurrence. I will remember those that are gone that I have loved so dearly. I will honor my elders and I will revisit and revise this list throughout my life and work hard to become and live like a human champion. So I encourage everyone out there that is listening, sit down, get your pen and paper out right now, write your 12 I wills and share them with others. That's how champions do it. And I'm going to remind you as I do each and every week, be a good human, live your life like a champion, live like a human champion. This is Jenny Hopkins and this has been A Coach's Perspective.